Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Welcome to the Startups Roundtable, where each week we look into the startup ecosystem in pursuit of inspiration and learnings. Today we get to meet Amanda Sequeira, who's a co-founder and CEO of Vapor, which is an AI tech startup automating asset management for utilities and local councils. This conversation with Amanda takes us down the path of emerging tech in an early stage startup that innovates to reduce the negative impact on neighborhoods and city blocks where pipes unexpectedly break underground when you least expect it. They have AI producing lead indicators to proactively deliver continuity of utility services. If you have ever heard people challenge the quantifiable business value of AI, then this is the startup that will reset their thinking. Let's meet Amanda. My name's Amanda. I'm one of the co-founders of Vapor. So Vapor automates the underground condition assessment of sewer and stormwater pipes. Basically, what that means is we help water utilities speed up the repairs of their underground pipes. So stuff that we're working on at the moment is trying to figure out how we can not only just figure out what's wrong, but what we can do to repair them. So figuring out how we recommend the next step. So using automation to further impact um, the workflows for utilities, which is really exciting. It is such a brilliant story. And Amanda, as I was just mentioning to you before we got underway, my first work role was as an apprentice plumber. And it is some years ago now, but I can still remember crystal clear what it was like having to deal with sewer pipes and water pipes and I did my apprenticeship on a university in Brisbane. Well, in fact, it was a, what is now QUT was QIT, very much a government facility. And all of the things that a water utility would look to solve now, we were solving then. So this, to me, is such a, an interesting and compelling story. I would like to start from an angle that is away from the technology. And I want to come to the technology in a moment. But it feels to me like there is a change program that has to happen first how you need to get people to buy into the process that you're putting forward. Could you start by talking about that and how you get people to come along for the journey with you? What is super helpful on our side is the kind of buzzword or the this wave of movement towards artificial intelligence and, and deep learning and software and automation um, that's been happening over the last couple of years. So certainly we've been, we and other companies have been riding that wave and um, people are more receptive to solutions that can really offer businesses a lot of value. So there's that and the fact that we use artificial intelligence and we do that in quite a real sense always catches people's interest. But from where the rubber hits the road for us is, is being able to deliver value to our customers. And we're actually saving them money, uh, saving them time. We're solving a real world problem for them. That not only catches their interest, but there's, there's intent there to buy. It struck me that your approach to solving the problem is one that is getting ahead of the curve. And when we start to think about water utilities, whether it is water and sewage and the like, 
the only time we generally find out about an issue is when it's a disaster. And there's no huge issue in a water utility with water under pressure or sewerage that starts or ends well. But what you're doing allows organizations to It's almost an insurance policy approach where they can feel the pulse of their their utility and stay on top of it. Is, Is that a reasonable way to think about it? That is a perfect way to think about it, Tony. I yeah, definitely need to uh, borrow some of that wording for our marketing for sure because that's that's a perfect way of putting it. We basically help utilities get ahead of the issue, so avoiding those collapses and the and the breaks that happen that cause people getting sewage in their front yards or in their backyards or backing up in their toilets. So those are the kinds of things that if you're able to identify them early, if you're able to reallocate funding because something's actually going to go wrong, Wrong, and you know that it's going to go wrong because we're able to bring that to your attention earlier. Certainly, it's it's a win-win. It's easy to get confused with, I'll call it new technology, so I'll talk about non-earthenware and non-cast iron pipes. But the fact is that there are a lot of those that still exist and being able to track and monitor those, I think is a really amazing thing. One thing that struck me as well is being able to do the repairs. If everything does go belly up, the number of apprentices and tradespeople, the skilled experts, There aren't as many today as there were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and there'll likely be less in five and 10 years from now. So the ability to automate this early warning detection system, it seems that there is a massive benefit that takes the pressure off having to find that the experts in the field. Is that also your experience? That's kind of how we started was very much from the point of view of the technician. My background is in civil engineering and I used to actually watch CCTV footage. So the footage that comes from the insides of these sewer pipes, oftentimes that will be reviewed by an engineer. And that was my job for eight hours a day was just watching the insides of sewer pipes looking for faults. And you just can't pay people to do that stuff anymore. You can't train them to do it. You can't find people to do it. And even if you could, ethical question whether you should. And so especially when there's a better way, there's software that can do it now. And so, yeah, it's just it's yeah. Can you can you find them? Like you say, the, the, the market for that sort of talent is narrowing. But even if you could, should you? When you look at uh, building out your strategy and your vision, where do you see the technology today? You've spoken about AI, machine learning, deep learning. What is the, the delta between your vision and the technology as it exists today? In terms of the exists today, we apply deep learning to video footage. By that I mean we make sense of pixels on, on a screen um, as opposed to numbers and, and words. So that's where deep learning kind of like plays, plays into it. Where where we would love to go and certainly the direction that the market's heading is taking a step further from what condition is are my pipes in today to to linking that into predictive models and say where would they be in the future in a more quantitative way. So right now people are doing that in a statistical way, using deep learning and real-time big data, real-time analysis could really change the game on that and and refine those models further. When you talk about big data, I'm guessing that you're using the public cloud as we all know it. How do you make your decisions as to which direction you go with public cloud? How do you tell one apart from the other? Yeah, it's really, really difficult to tell them about. On the surface, they all offer what you need, which is a, you know, a hosting platform. You can put your solutions up there. But For us, actually, we started on one provider and then migrated within 12 months to another one. And 
the the difference for us was the support at our stage. So we're an early stage startup. The one that we ended up moving to, which was Microsoft Azure, they had very specific support for segmented companies. So there was early stage startups and then there's kind of like scale ups and then going on to more business as usual. So we kind of fit in one of those buckets and they had support for us to like learn more about building on their cloud solution. So that was quite a point of difference for us. That's really interesting, that decision after a period of time and, and then moving across. I also noticed that Microsoft is doing something with ComBank's X15 Ventures program as well. They're a part of that ecosystem. Yes, tremendous. When you then start to step away from the technology question and to look at building your own venture, did you maybe share some of the things that surprised you that maybe you thought were a little bit harder than you thought when you started? Because hopefully there'd be some people listening to the podcast who are thinking about making those steps themselves and to learn from your learnings would be fantastic. Definitely. It's one of those things that I I find myself regularly saying, I wish I knew this. A lot of those moments come from areas where Michelle and I, so Michelle's my co-founder, who also happens to be an engineer. And so she and I, for that reason, very similar thinkers. We have a certain process to our thinking. And so our business actually started off very product-led and continues to be product-led. But on the advice and learnings through the venture, we've realized that there is a lot of value in non-product product functions. So like sales and marketing, finance, all of that stuff that we didn't really place an onus on early enough. And that part of it, we missed out. We, we missed out a lot of traction or growth on that on the early stage because we didn't place enough emphasis on sales and marketing. So because we were just engineers. I understand at a personal level what you've just described. Maybe it's about 12 years ago or so, I worked with a startup for three years. And so the company was based in Boston. I'm in Sydney. I'm setting up APAC and my boss is in Switzerland. And I joined the startup from a large global system integrator. And I was re-educated in sales, prospecting, business development. And all of a sudden, just as you're saying that was your experience, I was given a fresh view on what was needed to be successful in a startup, going and knocking on the doors of people with a solution to a problem nobody woke up in the morning trying to solve. And I'm guessing that's your situation as well. No one's waking up thinking, better get in touch with the man. We know the problem, they've got the answer. Is it right you're having to let people know that the the problem is real and you understand it, A? Then secondly, there's a better way to go about this. That is true for a lot of startups that are in that are in like emerging tech solutions, offering emerging tech solutions, where whereby there isn't a competitor on the market. You know, you're pioneering something that hasn't been done before, so you're challenged to not only sell but to educate at the same time, which can be very resource intensive and time intensive as well. So this the collateral that we're putting out, the messaging that we're putting out has to be really clear because of the education quasi sales message that you're trying to get across, like you say. How do you then break into an organization? Who's the person that cares most about your value proposition? It's a great question. Because we started from basically the operator and the technical person, which is kind of the shoes that I filled when I was doing it for a water utility. So it was very like technical operator centric, but 
the person that really needs to to sign off is is the person that has the budget in their hand. So you really need to be able to throughout the organization be compelling, but also show that return on investment and make sure that if they're going to give you money, that they're going to see see a return on it. So it's always that person that has that sign off that you need to have in your mind's eye. People wanting you to go through a proof of concept step each time, or is it a little bit more? There's a problem you can solve it. Let's get going. Oh man, <laughs> bane of my existence. Trials all the time. It's just trial central over here. So yeah, definitely it. And again, it comes from that pioneering a solution stance when we're challenged to educate, sell, and then also trial with almost every organization that comes to us because it's just not a known, not something that they can rely on or take for granted. Everybody wants to examine it. And so just to be aware of that and open to that is something that we're getting comfortable with, but but also trying to build our marketing collateral around showcasing others that have you know trialed before and hopefully we can short circuit some of those trials but yeah you're right there is a lot of that going on Amanda felt to me also in looking at what you're doing maybe one of the challenges is also working out what not to do as soon as you say water utilities you go well actually that's a global market and then you go okay well let's 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 recognize that and start to rein it in. Would you take me through how you do that prioritization? It's definitely a case of trial and error. So I'm not convinced that we know exactly the right answer yet, but certainly if you're following um, a problem and you're following the people that are paying you and your customers and and you're innovating with them, I think it can be quite clear what you should do. And certainly... Not only following who's paying you, that's probably less of a, not as important as where the scalability in the market is. For instance, early on, we had a number of people, us ourselves, went out to people and said, we can do X, Y, Z and A, B and C for everyone. And quite quickly, we realized that if we we can do everything for everyone and die quickly or do this one thing really well and be known for that, and we have a chance of really making a name of this. So it was very much a case of developing over time this go, no-go criteria for who it is that we want to engage and who we want to work with, but also what do we want to do as an organization and does that fit with our vision? With that vision, if you were to say building out that two, three-year view, where do you go to look to for trends and data and signposts to help you build out that vision? Customers. Customers, really. I see lots of stuff on social media and in the news and things like that. And we've got N number of Google alerts on various buzzwords, but really looking at what the market is doing from people that are actually working in that space or knowledgeable of that space. If it's not moving there, and particularly for our for our sector, there is a certain pace that it moves at. Yeah, I think things don't move as fast as other sectors. So there is a question of how trendy things can get and how much change can be affected. So just generally customers. If I could ask you then to share your thoughts and views and your experiences with coaches and mentors and what you would suggest to other early stage or pre-early stage to give advice as to how they could think about or get the best out of a coach or a mentor or coaches or mentors. We're actually really lucky in the early stage of our journey. We were in a program called Startmate, which is kind of like Australia's answer to Y Combinator, what Y Combinator is in the US. So the program is funded by a pool of mentors and they invest in, in 10 startups each round. And the reason I bring this up is because your investors in that program are mentors. So there's like 
60 mentors and and they warn you at the beginning that there's this thing called mental whiplash which is real and if you've got it's almost like it's like the too many cooks in the kitchen analogy but they do a really good job at telling you that you should really just pick one or two and just run with them and and that advice is invaluable mental whiplash is real and if you ask people for their opinion they're going to give it to you and it can be and you can quite very quickly fall into like this analysis paralysis where there's lots of people telling you to go different ways. So I think we've all experienced that. So I think in the early stage where there's not a defined path of literally anything that you're doing, I think the strongest advice that I've received is from people that have actually done it before as opposed to those that haven't, if I'm frank. And and I think if you choose your mentors wisely, and by that I mean people that have done what you're trying to do before, and then narrow them down to like one or two to avoid avoid mental whiplash, then I think you'll think that's probably a good start. That's a really good answer. It's a question that I ask every guest I have on the podcast, and there are subtleties around people's perspectives on it. But there was, and I actually can't remember who it was, but I wouldn't say the name if I did. And there, I'll paraphrase their answer, and that is, you want to find somebody who's successful, but not that successful that they've forgotten the pain. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so I'm kind of paraphrasing. So yeah. you want good advice, but good advice from someone who, who still remembers. Like it's, it, it needs to be grounded is, is, I think, what they're saying. It's what you're saying as well. It's interesting because even to be successful also almost necessitates pain. Like in this space, in anything entrepreneurial, any innovative, whatever, if it were easy, it would have been done. You can't be successful in this space without being a sucker for punishment. Said with a smile. (laughs) The final question I'd like to ask today, and it, it might be on one level a little bit unfair given that you're such at an early stage, but I'd love your perspective and thoughts When you think about diversity and inclusion as you're building your own company, what would your commentary there be? Mm, Our thoughts probably contradict the general best practice just because we are so early stage. So I think it's a fair question because I think there's a lot of pressure to have diversity and be inclusive, and but I think that needs to be qualified at our stage. So I'm not saying that diversity inclusion is not important, but at our stage, it's like there's a quote that I've heard, which is, if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go quickly, go alone. And so diversity inclusion is really, really great. If you're specifically hiring for minorities or specifically hiring for different countries or cultures or whatever to include everyone. And that makes sense in a large organization when you want to go far or you want to go for a long period of time. But at our stage, we want to go quickly. You know, coming back to even the mental discussion that we were saying, we don't want paralysis analysis, analysis paralysis rather. We don't want too much diversity to the point where we're conflicting with each other. So we're hiring for uh, hiring for similarity and that we get diversity and inclusion. Of course, we're open to it and we support that, but we want to go quickly. And I think that is maybe not something that a lot of startups will kind of fly the banner for, but because it's not best practice, not best practice and complying with that, but certainly you've got to go quickly. And so you've got to, you've got to get people that, that are alongside you. I really appreciate such a generous answer. And I, I'm not sure that there's necessarily best practice is my view on it. It's about being conscious and then doing what you need to do. And I, I think that's what you've described. Amanda, it's been a treat having this conversation with you and being able to bring the best of my old plumberness together with my technology role now. Genuinely, it's been a delight. So thanks for taking the time and sharing so much. And it'd be wonderful to stay in touch and hopefully speak again in the near future. Yeah, thanks for your time, Tony. It was good. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amanda as much as I did. 
a compelling story with profound business value. And that is all for today. Feedback is always appreciated. Thanks for listening and bye for now.